Now, I'm in Hebrews chapter 11. We're sort of nearing the end of this little series of the great heroes of faith of Hebrews 11. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed diving back into these texts because it moves us back into the Older Testament of Christ and talks about how God was moving in faith in those people. And, of course, they're saved the same way we're saved. They're saved by the blood of Jesus trusting in God by faith to be the redeemer and the reconciler of their lives and trusting him for life today and trusting him for life eternally. And one of those is we're going to talk about today is named Rahab. So Hebrews chapter 11, the focus is verse 31, but for the context, let's go back to verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now let's just pause and pray. Lord, first we thank you for the great challenge of faith that this passage is sharing with us. We pray that you'll find our hearts and minds receptive to your spirit's voice, his call, and his empowerment. And I pray as we wrestle with this text and let you work within our hearts that will be different from this point forward to the glory and the honor of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So last week we focused on the faith of Joshua and the people of Israel who obeyed God's orders and marched around the city of Jericho. Militarily, that did not make sense, did it? I mean, at best, it doesn't make sense. But yet, that's exactly what God called the people to do, and he was 100% successful. Because God is always successful, always right. The Lord soundly defeated Jericho, and only part of the wall was initially left intact. That part was where the prostitute named Rahab lived. Her house built into the walls of the city of Jericho like many others were. If you go back to Joshua, I said Judges early, I'm sorry. Joshua chapter 6, you'll find in, in verse 21 a, a little bit of the history. In fact, if you've got time this afternoon, maybe you're sitting outside, take your Bible out there and just read the whole chapter, chapter 6 of Joshua because Joshua chapter 6 gives you a little bit of the rich history of this uh, story that I'm telling you about today. Uh, then they devoted the whole city, all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her, verse 23. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they were put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And as, uh, as she has lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at the time, saying, Curse before the Lord be the man who rises up 
and rebuilds this city, Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest, he shall set its stone, excuse me, set up its gates. Let me pause here for a minute. We were driving one day uh, from Jerusalem, uh, the region of Jerusalem, uh, and moving down south towards the Dead Sea. And uh, we were in this big coach bus, and uh, we have a a guide who was with us, he's a Messianic Jew, has a rich history of Jewish culture because he grew up in, in that culture and his whole family was Jewish, obviously. But he had come to know Jesus as his Savior, so he's a Messianic Jew. And as we were driving towards the Dead Sea, uh, soon we would pass by the Qumran cave area and that area of the wilderness and he said, hey, look over to the right. And we did. There was nothing but just rough desert terrain, mountainous desert terrain. He said, did you see it? <laughs> we said, see what? He said, Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho. Did you see it? And, of course, the whole bus said, we didn't see anything. Ah, God's word came about, didn't it? Not a single stone was ever rebuilt in that ancient city. And sure enough, it's true. What a, what a great remembrance I have of that moment. Now, Jericho was rebuilt, but not in that place. It was built uh, just away from it. Uh, you can go, by the way, next year on March the 19th, we're heading out to, to Israel. And I'd love for you to go next year on the, 20, uh, the 19th of March, 2023. But then let's listen to this last verse. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Now, I'm going to mention five things that I think are important for us to think about regarding Rahab. Could we come up with 50? Probably. But I'm just going to zoom in on five of them. Let's look at them real quick. Through Rahab, we see God's redemptive invitation and provision to people of all nations. This is a big deal because God had already placed judgment on the Amorites, had he not? In fact, Rahab was an Amorite. She lived among a nation that was accursed of God under his judgment. And he did that because they had centuries, over four centuries of rebellious disobedience to God. God had given them the general revelation of himself like he has everybody through creation. And they were without excuse. They should have known God. They determined not to know God and not to submit to him. And his judgment was already set against them. And he was going to execute his justice against them. Every sin is going to have to be paid for. We need to recognize that. Every sin of all time is paid for because justice requires it. And God is holy and he is just and requires that payment. However, where we see God's judgment, we often see the mercy of God extended. So yes, God is a just God and he brings judgment against people. But where you hear the judgment of God, especially in this age and time, you see the mercy of God being extended. And Rahab's life is part of that extension of God's mercy. God is extending mercy and grace then as he is now throughout the world. Why is he doing that? Well, let me mention a few things. First of all, through his church, the Lord is continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ to seek and save the lost. It's in the heart of God to give mercy and grace to people. His heart is to seek after those who are lost and under his judgment. 
So we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to perish but could have eternal life. That's the proclamation of the church here and abroad, is it not? And as people of of the world and the nations of the world are ever so polarized, Meadowbrook must remember that God has created and fashioned all people in his image. There's not anybody that we would say, oh, they're past God. No, no, they're in the image of God. There's not anybody we ought to be pulling away from, though the world might be doing that. We are not to do that. We ought to be moving to them because they are created by God and in the image of God. Secondly, we as a church must always remember that God is not a respecter of persons. Now, we might categorize people. We might put them in various brackets in our selfish, sinful ways, but God is not respecters of people in that way. God is, God is one who is embracing people, loving people, moving towards people, calling out to them, revealing himself, calling out with his word to them. He is making demands upon them, but in his demands, he is bringing his presence to them and his word to them. And then third, Meadowbrook must always remember that God desires all people to be saved and come to the saving knowledge of truth in Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. God is always moving towards people in the provision of his mediator. And we as a church ought to remember that. Peter said it well, saying, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So God's justice is served, but at the same time his mercy is extended. So no wonder Jesus commanded us as a church to go into all the nations and proclaim to them, teach them, disciple them, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Since our inception, Southern Baptists have sent 25,000 missionaries around the world. Throughout the nations, in 189 countries, we've had the presence of the gospel in those places. A portion of our Faithful giving as a church goes to support about 3,600 international missionaries who are connected to the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm grateful for a church and a denomination that loves God and loves people enough to reach into the world and make such an impact. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering is coming up. And its money is brought in by churches like ours to support the missional efforts and church planning efforts all throughout North America. You and I make an impact by our giving, by our speaking, by our going, by our sending, by our praying. And church, I'm grateful that you're the kind of church that makes that kind of impact. Secondly, through Rahab, we understand that God can transform the vilest of sinners. It's a wonderful truth, is it not, that no one is too deep in sin for God's rescuing hand not to reach. You cannot get out of his reach. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you are in, God can and will reach you. He's made the measure of that known throughout Scripture. Rahab, over and over and over, it's mentioned, is a prostitute. One given to an industry that can not be more removed from God and his holy laws. I mean, she's part 
of an operation that is completely counter to God. And yet God is going to rescue her, not only from the atrocities of her people, but her own self. The Lord has moved upon her, pouring out faith from heaven, which she exercises. He's determined to wash her in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. So he extends mercy and grace to her. And so there's a lot of hope found in this text, is there not? So much hope that it reminds us of Romans chapter 5, which says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So her sin was mounting, but God's grace was mounting even more. Her sin was deep, but God's mercy was even deeper. And so he begins to move towards her in a great, great way. This narrative reminds us that it's by God's sovereign will and his predestined grace that rescues people. He rescues them, bringing them from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's exactly what he did to me in 1973. It's what he's done for the majority of you in this room, and it's what he's doing for a number of you in this room. Indeed, Rahab did nothing to deserve her salvation. God saved her by his choice, gave her mercy and grace by his predetermined choice. In such a case, it's that way for every person entering the kingdom of God. You do nothing to enter the kingdom of God. God does everything. He is the door, he opens the door, he calls you to the door, he gives grace for you to enter the door, he gives faith for you to move to the door, and he ushers you through the door. What a great God we serve that would move upon us in that way as he's moved upon Rahab. That brings me to number three. Through Rahab we see the mysterious compelling work of the Holy Spirit to save people. Anyone who is insisting on people taking steps that lead them to faith in their salvation has a difficult time grappling with this text. Because there's no steps that Rahab is making towards Christ. There's no steps that she's taking to earn the will of God. No, God's will is exercised even while she is rebellious and against him. There's no steps of faith. And Rahab is proving that there was no church for her to begin to attend. There was no scripture in Jericho for her to begin to read. There was no preacher proclaiming God's word for her to hear and respond. There's no Jericho calendar that ever had the Sabbaths written on it for her to honor. However, the Holy Spirit was readying her heart to trust the God of Israel for her salvation. He worked within her, leading her to identify him as the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And when the Israeli spies shows up, she's already knowing about their God. She brings it up to them. They don't bring it up to her. It's not like they're knocking on the door saying, hey, Rahab, you want to be saved? No, God had already worked in her heart. God had already brought her to truth and understanding. And when they begin to speak, she speaks of the faith. I know your God. I know your God is the one true God. And she calls out to them to save her from the plight that is coming against her people. That's the mysterious, marvelous working of the Holy Spirit and the hearts of people. 
Now look, you and I may have gospel conversations with people, and we should, but the working within, the working in the hearts and the minds of the people, the persistent work that is required is from the potent work of the Holy Spirit of the living God. I can present God's word to people, but only the Spirit of God can work that word into the hearts of people. I can move people and challenge people, but only the Spirit of God can pour faith into them. Only they can respond to him, not to my words. My words won't transform them in any way, neither today or in the future of heaven. But God's Spirit can speak, and he speaks his word through the mouths of people and through the pages of the Bible. And he does it in a wondrous way. Which that moves us naturally to the fourth truth that I want us to see. Through Rahab we identify the providential work of God orchestrating details perfectly. God's providence. Have you thought about God's providence lately? Rahab forces us to think about the providential work of God. Because before Israel moved against Jericho... Joshua had commissioned two spies to scout out the city. Now that scouting out the city, they just happen to come upon a woman. And that woman is readied in a unique way. It's not circumstantial. It's not coincidental. It's the providential work of God who moves sovereignly in a way through his spirit that cannot be explained other than his great work. What's the probability that those two spies would connect with the only person moved upon by the Holy Spirit to have faith in the God of Israel? What is the likelihood of them engaging a person who alone would protect them from the Jericho king and his mighty men who were seeking after the two spies that entered the gate. What, is the, what are the odds that they would meet the woman who made it possible for them to escape unharmed? Now listen carefully. I want you to hear this. There are no coincidences with God. I would go as far as to say there are no coincidences in life. Instead, there is the sovereign, providential working of God throughout all the universe. And he is moving and inclining his, his move throughout his creation. There were no coincidences in this redemptive narrative. Instead, the spies and Rahab are met by God's divine providences allowing her to exercise in her newfound faith in the God of Israel and allowing the two spies to fulfill the commission of Joshua that he had given them in instruction. So God's mysterious and providential work is unceasing. This is not just a story in the Bible. This is helping us to focus on this fact that God and his providential work is always on the move. God is always moving, and his Holy Spirit is always bringing about his providence. He's always working, and we would do well to pay attention to the details of the Spirit of God as he is moving God's providence sovereignly throughout the world. God is working in your life. All the details of your life are orchestrated. 
all the decisions and all the ways and all the movements that you and I have are providentially ordered by the Spirit of God because God is sovereign and over all things. He rules and he reigns. Now, there are a lot of biblical examples of the Spirit's leading providentially throughout the text of the Scriptures, and I want to just call your attention to a few of those. Just sort of reinforce this point. This should not be this should not be irregular in our lives. Instead, it should be the regular occurrence that we identify the working of the Holy Spirit. For example, the Holy Spirit guided Samuel one day as a prophet to go to David. Now, David is a boy. He's going to a small little village called Bethlehem under the instruction of the Holy Spirit to a man's home whose name is Jesse. He's a farmer. He's a sheep sheep um, herdsman, he, he, he's one that uh, tries to multiply so that he can sell these things out. And so he has multiple sons, and Samuel requires that Jesse go and get the youngest of all of his sons from the remote field, bring him in, because the Spirit of God had providentially ordered him to be the king of Israel one day. And we see that work of the Spirit. We also see the divine work of the Spirit in the shepherds, who are out in the field and they humbly seek after Christ and his birthplace. It was Philip who was led to Samaria by the Spirit, then down to Gaza, and then literally moved to Azotos so that he might do the will and the work of God. The Spirit summoned Ananias to a very specific street in Damascus to go to a very specific man called Saul, who is a persecutor of the church, and he told him exactly what to do when he got there. The Holy Spirit was calling out to a seeker whose name was Cornelius to send for a man who was spending the night with another one in Joppa. Go send for him, bring him back to your place. And, and while he's there, Peter hears the instruction of the Holy Spirit and he rises up and goes with the servant, servants to that place. It's the Spirit of God who led the first missionaries of many throughout the world. And it was the Spirit of God who moved upon Barnabas and Saul to go be the first missionaries in the world from the church, commissioned from the church. It's the Spirit who led Paul to Macedonia. And it's the Spirit who brings out the providential will of God for Paul to one day go outside the gates of the city and, quote, happen upon a prayer meeting that's going on and find the first of those who will become the nucleus of a great church there in Macedonia. It's the Spirit's working constantly over and over and over. Throughout the Bible, we find him moving in God's providence to bring out the will of the Father. He's always at work in practical ways and sometimes miraculous ways, advancing the kingdom of God. And listen to me. He does it through common people like you and me. Don't discount yourself. Don't discount yourself. God is moving. And if you're in faith, his spirit is moving through you, bring about, bringing about his providential grace. Trust and follow after the spirit. And that leads me to last and final. Through Rahab and her scarlet rope, we appreciate the essential components of faith and obedience amid God's atoning work. Now, I'm not going to take time to delve into the 
what the theologians and Bible students call the scarlet thread that runs throughout the Scripture. But suffice to say that when you find a scarlet rope, a scarlet thread in the Old Testament, you're finding that there's an allusion to the Spirit working in Christ to bring about his redemptive plan throughout mankind. Every time you, you read about scarlet in the Old Testament, you ought to just raise your eyebrow. Just pique your interest right there for a minute. Because you'll probably find that there is a movement towards the redemptive understanding of what Christ our Lord is supplying. Rahab is not different. She has confessed her faith in God and moved to protect the Israeli spies. She's allowed those men to escape Jericho by letting them down with a scarlet rope from her window. And as they're fleeing, they are instructing her, when we return, make sure this is hanging out your window so that we will know where you and your family that you'll gather into your home where you will be and we will protect you because your faith is in our God. You've protected us. Now remember, just before all these events are unfolding, before Israel has been moved strategically to the plains of Jericho, God had instructed them to do two things. Remember what they are? Number one, it's follow after the commitment of obedience to the covenant of God through circumcision. That was required of all Jewish men. And they had undergone that. Remember the second thing that God told them to do? Observe the Passover. Observe the Passover. Come to a place of worship. Remember the redemptive power of God. Because the Passover takes them back to the time in history when God redeems them out of Egypt and their bondage there. In the first Passover, God had instructed all the people of Israel, gather you and your family together in your home, make sacrifice of an unblemished lamb, let the blood, and when you take the blood and put it over the door of your home, that red blood painted over your door, then judgment will pass over because your faith is signified by that painting of blood over your door. Your home is marked with the blood of the lamb. And sure enough, as that death angel was coming throughout the land of Egypt and every place where there was red markings on the door from the blood of the lamb, that death angel in judgment passed right past them. And they, there was no destruction in those homes. Now that's pretty rich because 40 years later, they're looking back, this generation is looking back at the previous generation knowing that the last thing they saw when they left Egypt was the painted blood doors of their former homes. And now they're coming to the first city that is going to be destroyed in the entry, the gateway, if you will, to the promised land. And the first thing that they see is a scarlet cord hanging out the window. I can tell you that there's faith in both accounts. There's faith in Rahab, who is going to hang that scarlet cord out her window, that she trusts God for her salvation. And there's faith to the people of Israel that God has redeemed us and God is fulfilling his promise. They're seeing red in both instances. We see faith being carried out in great ways 
That rope was a sign of Rahab's faith in the Redeemer, and it was a mark of faith for Israel, trusting God. So God saved Rahab and her family when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. God was there protecting them. More importantly, they weren't just rescued for that moment. They were rescued eternally by their faith. Rahab's story continues after the fall. You see it in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. Look on the screen. But Rahab and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Now, if I were going to underline anything, it would be here. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, from the beginning of Rahab's story, we know about her sin and brokenness. She's identified as a prostitute. And what the scripture is doing there is highlighting sin and brokenness. This is where she started in her journey towards God in faith by his great mercy. And isn't that the way all of us start? We all start with sin and brokenness, don't we? We all start at this place where God finds us rebellious and sinful and just mark through and through with all kinds of regret and failure. Every one of us start in that way. And, and the scripture is identifying her in that way. Uh, by the way, Christy and I were having dinner last night with some other people. And uh, she said, you know, I'm really, really sort of ticked off at you. I said, why? <laughs> She's on my staff. <laughs> why are you ticked off at me? She said, because uh, I've got to figure out how I'm going to talk about Rahab without mentioning the word prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, what, what did you come to? What was the conclusion you had? She said, I'm going to tell them this morning that she did some really bad things and made some real bad choices. And if you've got any questions about it, go talk to your mom and your daddy. <laughs> I thought, wow, this lady's got full of wisdom in her. So you've got big things to explain when you get home. But yeah, the scripture is wanting us to recognize this woman is in brokenness and sin along with all the other Amorites. She is an enemy of God and the people of God, and she is under the judgment of God. But God had predestined, this is a great word, God had predestined her in her salvation, and he made the way with faith and mercy and grace for her to be saved. And when everybody else was being destroyed, God was reaching out, bringing her in faith to himself. Man, that's my life, and that's your life as well. Our whole culture is marked with sin ungodly, rebellious, God-forsaken sin, but yet God reached out in his great predetermined way and brought us to Jesus in faith. He even gave us the faith by which we would exercise. And hallelujah to the Lord who brings that kind of grace in our life. He ought to be praised. That ought to make a difference to us when we're singing to him. It ought to make a difference to us when we read the text. It ought to make a difference in our day-by-day -day living. And it ought to make a difference when we share faith with other people, sharing the word of God. Share your stories. Don't, don't be so shy about the sinfulness and brokenness of your previous life, your BC, your life before Christ. Tell people that you are marked with sin, but God rescued you from that sin and brought you to his righteousness, declared you so by Jesus himself. So after the fall of Jericho, Rahab was adopted into the family of God. She became a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And 
was welcomed into the congregation of Israel. But as you know, if you're a student of the Bible, as you keep turning the pages of the Bible, you know that she became the wife to a prince of Judah and Salmon. And she became the mother of a man named Boaz. And she became the grandmother to the great King David. And as you continue to turn the pages of the Bible, the once prostitute of Jericho is now written and chronicled about in the Messiah's genealogy. Amazingly so, when we read Matthew's account of the genealogy of Christ, we find Rahab's name right there. She's in the line which produces for us Jesus Christ, our Savior. Any of our lives can be marked with the lowest of human sin in fact, sin and shame may mark some of you in this room, but yet Jesus can rescue you. Jesus is the one who can bring you out of that. As Hebrew men came into the home of the prostitute, so Jesus comes into our sinful lives and he calls us, pouring out faith to us in an appropriate measure, and he bids whosoever will may come. This is the work of Christ. Upon receiving his gift of grace, he brings us to new life, spiritually makes us to be born again from above. He lifts us to immeasurable heights of glory, exchanging our sin for his righteousness, bringing us into his household as children of God, and granting us joint heirs with Jesus himself. This is the transformation of grace and mercy that God is providing, and it's one to be received. So as God... In his infinite wisdom has narrowed down to your heart. What is he saying to you? I wonder if he's saying, it was my joy to bring you in mercy and grace and faith to my beloved son who washed you clean. Or is he saying, it's my joy to offer grace and mercy to you now while my judgment is against you come to me in faith and I'll tell you he'll pour out enough faith for you to move and exercise in that decision it's not by chance that you're here today it's not by chance that you're listening to this message on the radio it's not by chance that you are watching online but it's by God's providential grace and will that he would make his gospel known to you. Now, whosoever, whosoever will may come. Now, Lord, thank you for the provision. Thank you for the invitation. I pray that you'll find us full of your faith and exercising in it to the joy and honor and glory of Jesus. Amen.